This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, November 15th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. Educational institutions have failed to keep up with the needs of American workers. From K through college, there are reforms that could more easily accommodate the needs of workers and workers-to-be. Cato's Neil McCluskey is author of two chapters in Cato's new book, Empowering the New American Worker. We spoke last week. Often we talk about education in terms of what are the outcomes that we're getting for those who are being educated. And that's important when we talk about elementary and secondary education. It's certainly important as we prepare uh, future members of the workforce. But it's also important to remember that K-12 through education, which is dominated by public schooling, so government-run and assigned schools, um, also serves in many ways current workers, families. People who have kids are reliant on the public school system overwhelmingly because that's where all their money has to go. And they rely on it to educate their children, but also to have their children and and sort of supervise and oversee their children much of the time when parents are at work. And what we have seen put in very stark relief under COVID-19, the pandemic, was that public schools are not responsive to families' needs. And the more difficult situations get or maybe out of the ordinary, the less likely they are or able they are to serve diverse families, including people who work. And so a lot of the K-12 through chapter in this really important book talks about how basically public schools tend to let families down and they do it at a high price. COVID-19 was the most sort of stark picture of this where people, in order to go to work, needed to have somewhere to send their kids, but public schools overwhelmingly said, nope, you can't send them here. We're staying closed. And in many cases, they were staying closed to, to you know, not bringing kids in, in large part because many adults who worked in the schools didn't want to have kids there. So often we saw teachers unions in particular saying, well, you cannot have in-person schooling. It's too dangerous. And often they were saying it was too dangerous for the adults. And that was the clearest way that especially working families were sort of hamstrung by public schooling. This place that they have to pay taxes for, that they were supposed to be able to send their kids, just said, no, you can't do it. And it's not just based on what your needs are. And it's often not even based on what particular people in your school want. Much of it is driven by state policy or big district policy that's driven by politics and particular union power. Um, But what we see is this is just, again, sort of the most clear manifestation of a system that is designed not to respond to the families, but to bigger political power. So working parents have to pay property taxes. They pay state income taxes uh, in states that have them, or they pay lots of other sales taxes. In many ways, they pay for public schools so that we think of them as free for those who use them, but they're not. Parents pay for them. They have to pay taxes that go to those schools. And what we've seen is not only were they closed under the pandemic, but they haven't tended to produce, at least based on standardized test scores, which are a very limited way to look at schools and education. But at least based on standardized test scores, we've seen big, you know, more than doubling of 
how much we spend per pupil adjusted for inflation on on public schools. Um, And we've seen flat test scores for high school seniors. We've seen improvements for some lower grades. We've seen improvements for some uh, for certain subgroups of kids. But we've not seen any sort of meaningful improvement in the aggregate for those kind of final products of the system, the high school seniors. Um, And so it's very hard to say, you know, we have this more than doubling of spending. We have flatline 12th grade scores. It's hard to say people are getting the bang for their buck on the outcomes they want from school, not just the kind of practical day-to-day things they needed during the pandemic. And so a lot of this chapter is about sort of public schools are supposed to be part of our daily lives and preparing kids for a, a good, productive future. And they, they're not doing that, and they're not doing it at an, at an regularly increasing cost. The other thing that we're not doing, and that we it's very clear we need school choice for, we need school choice for if you wanted a school that was open, and other people did too, and education would agree to it, you could have cho- chosen a school that was open. People wanted a school that was closed during the pandemic, could have chosen that kind of school. But much broader than that, when we talk about the workforce, there's also developing the next workforce. And we've long had a system, at least since No Child Left Behind in 2001 and 2002, that said, look, the real way we're going to measure how a public school is performing is how many students go to college. We had oriented almost the whole system to producing people to go to college. And and students who were not oriented towards, you know, a four-year school where you had a liberal arts core, and then eventually you would get to learn the very hard skills, maybe, that were useful for employment. For students who didn't want that, who wanted to immediately, during high school, start to learn marketable skills, you know, what you might call workforce training, but career and technical training. You might have wanted to become an electrician and learn those skills or become certified in Microsoft Word or Office suite of applications. People who are ready to go into the workforce right away, we told them, no, we're not really going to have a system for you. You're not going to be able to prepare prepared with hard skills so when you graduate high school, you can go into the workforce. We also need a K through 12 system based in school choice, in money following students, so that those students can prepare for the careers, for the lives that they want, rather than what politicians or people who run the system say they should have. To what extent have employers engaged with schooling in an attempt to find workers who are ready to go? They won. So what we've seen uh, developing, really, you started to see it around, I'd say around 2010, but more and more we see it happening. For, you know, for a long time in the 90s and the early 2000s, people who were business leaders, so people who had, were presidents of big corporations and things, they were actually all on board with this idea or tended to be all on board with the idea that the K through 12 system should be totally geared toward kids doing well on standardized tests and with college being kind of the end all for most students. And it's because those employers tend to look at the education system the way they looked at a firm that if only we ran a 
the national education system the way I would run my company, where the ultimate goal of the company is to produce, say, X number of widgets and make a profit um, by producing these widgets. And everybody all pulls together to produce this widget. Um, they looked at it as a firm and said, why can't I do that with education? Ignoring the fact that diverse people have all sorts of things they want out of education. And much of it is not to get the highest test scores you can. It can be character development. It can be teaching creativity. It can be socialization, lots of different things. And so employers, you might say, at least the ones you heard about in the 90s and 2000s, were all about K through 12 should be about test scores. And then college is where you go to study things and get a degree. And we will use that degree uh, as a proxy, basically, depending on what you studied, but often a proxy to say, this is somebody who should work in a corporation because they're probably kind of smart and they finish things and they do as they're supposed to do. Um, but what we've seen, Pi, starting in 2010, and now we've seen a lot of it maybe in the last four or five years, is employers increasingly saying, and other people increasingly saying, you know, it doesn't make sense to make all of education based on test scores and say that the norm for what people should do outside of high school should be go to college. And there's been much more looking at career and technical education and training in K through 12 and post-secondary. So after you graduate. And so 2010, we started see, talking about, well, maybe we should have more apprenticeship programs and maybe we should have more, uh, ability in K through 12 to study sort of what we used to call vocational stuff, but, you know, it could be learning welding, electrical work, all sorts of things like that, because they recognize that we need skilled workers. They started to recognize that college is very inefficient and ineffective for many people. And even the ones who graduate often don't have any marketable skills. For a while, there was a lot of resistance to that because historically we'd had cases of tracking people involuntarily where the schools, especially starting in the industrial area, where experts in the school district would say, well, we're sure that you know, these 80% of kids are destined to work in a factory and that's the education we will force them to have. And then maybe 20% are going to do something else and we'll let them have a lot more freedom on what they choose. And we didn't want that tracking, but it's become more and more clear that we have to have a lot of options outside of higher education. And even like the Harvard Business School has produced studies uh, that show Employers are starting to realize it makes no sense in many cases to ask for credentials where they weren't required before and there's no evidence they have overall benefits to the workforce. And so we're seeing people who are kind of in the business world moving away from this assumption that if we could just engineer the education system like a firm, we'd get what we want. And they've moved toward a lot more freedom and a lot more understanding that college degrees are not the first thing that, or the sort of gateway that everyone should have to go to, to get a job. All right. You wrote two chapters in this book. The other is what comes next for some portion of uh, students who move on from K-12 education and that's higher ed. Where has higher ed uh, failed ultimately to assist with the process of uh, molding independent workers, people who can go out and are ready to uh, have a productive and remunerative professional life. Right. So 
in part, it's not the fault of colleges and universities that we've had people uh, massive overconsumption, I think you could say, of higher ed. In part, it's because we had a K through 12 system that said everybody really, if you really want to say you're a good school district, almost everybody goes to college. Um, and so we've had all these people go into college. And of course, going with that was, well, the federal government in particular said, well, we have to enable people to afford going to college. So we're going to give them lots of money to do it. It was in the form of grants, but also increasingly over the last few decades in the form of loans. And what we have seen are two major things. The first is that the price of college reached sort of astronomical levels and student debt reached very high levels uh, in the aggregate. And also it rose a lot for the average person with debt. And we've seen uh, uh, basically a revolt against student debt. And it's not just because President Biden uh, said he's going to have mass loan cancellation. The revolt actually started to manifest itself in a peak in how much debt people are taking out around 2012 or so that then dropped a lot. So even before this cancellation, you saw a lot of people start to say that the price of college isn't worth paying and I'm going to find cheaper options. And you've seen a pretty significant uh, reduction in enrollment which was also reflective, at least in part, of people saying, college is not the right way to go. It's too expensive, and I'm not going to get the skills that I need. And so even before public policy and politicians started to talk about, well, we really need to change higher education, people were saying it's not worth it, and they were acting accordingly. And this is where we've also seen now in higher education, it takes a long time for, for institutions to change um, and for people who are important in the higher ed system to start changing what they say and their minds. But we've seen a lot more uh, understanding that college needs to be more efficient and that post-secondary education shouldn't always mean college. And it certainly shouldn't always mean a four-year degree, a bachelor's degree. That there needs to be a move toward, if you're going to have things you don't learn in high school, lots of options in higher education where you can learn, again, often specific skills and abilities and knowledge without having to go through a four-year program and it's residential and you have core classes and you do a lot of partying and things like that. Um, but it's hard to move the system. So, for instance, it's controlled largely by accreditors because you have to be accredited to be able to take kids with federal student aid. And that's most, I shouldn't even say kids anymore, students. Um, most students or many students still use financial aid. Colleges really rely on that uh, to, to bring in revenue so they can compete with the other colleges that rely on that to bring in revenue. Um, and so you, it's a slow process to, to allow these new uh, colleges and universities and education providers into the system where they will provide and give you the skills and knowledge, or they will test your skills and knowledge and give you a stamp that you have those things already that you may have learned in previous work. Um, it's been hard for those groups to get into the system at scale because of this accreditation problem. Uh, and so we, we have recognition that four-year college isn't for everybody. And in fact, many people 
would be much better off if we had lots of options, but we've got to reform accreditation to get there. That's one of the things that the higher education chapter talks about. And it's not that different in a way from K through 12 education. The major themes are we have got to allow much more freedom in these systems so that you can have far more options for people who don't fit into the one mold that we've pushed for decades, which is ultimately everybody should go to a four-year college. One of the uh, things that you identify here uh, as a policy reform, decrease regulatory burdens to increase innovative supply. What does that mean exactly? So, yeah. So, you know, the the traditional four-year college and university, you think of, you know, Harvard or University of Michigan or somewhere. It's a big campus with lots of brick and mortar buildings and people, you know, students enter at 18 and they hopefully leave at 22 and they live in dormitories and they, they're in class and then they spend a lot of time socializing. That's a very inefficient way to get education. Um, and many people who do it view it as more than just education. It's socializing. It could be four years of partying. Um, what we want and what we should want is a higher education system where you can quickly get skills and knowledge you need in order to do a job. Um, and actually the type of schools that were most oriented toward doing that have been for-profit schools. For-profit schools don't typically have big campuses. They almost always have schedules that are intentionally designed to meet the needs of and the, the schedules of working people. They offer programs that are not, you know, let the professor uh, come up with however they think is the best way to teach something in the most esoteric way. They say, look, here's our curriculum, teach it. That's your job. They were very efficient about providing what people need. Um, it's a, certainly the case that a lot of for-profit schools have bad outcomes. In large part, that is because they tend to work with students who have the most obstacles in their lives, actually by far, even more than community colleges. So they tend to be older, already have kids, already working. There's certainly a problem of all colleges raise their prices a lot because student aid enables them to, and because many for Profit students are also low income. They get eligibility for a lot of aid. But there's no question that for-profit schools have been the fastest to react to respond to market needs by setting up programs that would provide the skills that people need. But our regulatory system is, is overwhelmingly oriented toward how would you regulate or how would you accredit a traditional four-year college. How many books are in the physical library? Do you have compliance officers for 1,800 things, including you know, student life and campus safety and things like that? They are not designed for um, uh, something like Western Governors University, which isn't for-profit, it's not-for-profit, or uh, for schools that will test your knowledge already and give you credit for what you already know. Those things fall out of the norm for most accreditors, so it's hard for those institutions to get accredited. So we need to move to an accreditation system, which is really how the federal government regulates schools. It says, well, we'll tell you which accreditors are okay. We need to get the federal government out of the business, or at least the monopoly of accrediting the accreditors. We should let states say, look, 
we will accredit accreditors or we will also accredit schools um, so that federal student aid can come here. It shouldn't just be the federal government. We need to open up the the spectrum of accreditors to approve schools. That's how we start to get lots of things that don't look like that old traditional four-year residential college that look a lot more like Coursera, um, Western Governors, lots of these sort of new entities that will, in many ways, try and get you the skills and knowledge that you need to get a job and not more. And if you already have them, to certify that you have them and move you on. That's what we need in higher education. But we've got to get away from this, this established model that really hasn't worked well for most people for a very long time. Neil McCluskey is author of two chapters in the new Cato book, Empowering the New American Worker. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.